This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. William Henley wrote poems himself, and one of his most famous ones is called Invictus. If you've never memorized this before, you've probably heard some of these lines. It goes like this. The final two stanzas say, Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Yeah, some of you know it. Or someone who keeps rhyme, maybe. Um, Henley, William Henley was influenced by uh, what's called Stoicism. And uh, I know we've got some philosophy majors in here who probably tell us more than I know about Stoicism. But it's just basically this idea that we have to face all of life's circumstances with a stiff upper lip. I don't know if you guys face life that way, but that's how it feels like we have to act, right? You can't let anyone know about your weakness. You can't let anybody know about your emotions. Uh, And you don't need to fear the pains of life because, uh, as Henley says, you're the master of your faith. You're the captain of your soul. You're you're in charge, right? Well, the last two years uh, of this pandemic have, have kind of blown that out of the water, right? This idea that we are in absolute control over life. At best, control is an illusion. And the reason we've been so consumed by by fears, for many many reasons, but one is is because we've lost control. Uh, We have no sense of normalcy. We have no familiar rhythms anymore. There's no ability to predict what's going to happen next. Even though we're, we're, we're governed by wise people, we have some of the best scientists in the world, right? But we just need somebody to rescue us. We need somebody to rescue us from our insecurities and our fears. And the theme of fear, like I said, it kind of runs throughout. I don't know if you noticed it. Uh, the, the prophet or in this um, book, in this first chapter, that word fear or afraid is mentioned several times. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. This idea of fear, there's two kind of sides to fear. There's uh, a fear where you're afraid of something so much that you run away from it. But then there's a different kind of fear. The Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. And it's a fear that actually draws us in to God. One, One scholar describes it this way. He says, the fear of the Lord is like an ecstasy of love and joy that senses how overwhelmingly kind and magnificent good and true God is, and that therefore leans on him in staggered praise and faith. Fear of the Lord is what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes said is the goal of life. All of life's purpose is to fear the Lord and obey what he commands. So the Lord teaches us, as he teaches Jonah, what it means to truly fear him. So in order to kind of open that up tonight, we're going to ask three questions. Who should fear the Lord? Uh, What prevents us from fearing the Lord? And then how do we get the power to fear the Lord? So first, who should fear the Lord? Well, Jonah, up until this point, Jonah, we learned this elsewhere in Scripture, that Jonah was kind of a celebrity prophet because 
he had declared the word of the Lord to the people, and so far, things had gone really well. The, the, the nation had prospered. Things were good. And so Jonah was kind of seen as the dude. He was this celebrity uh, prophet. He's restored this, this, this peace and prosperity, or at least helped restore peace and prosperity to the nation. But now the Lord calls him to deliver a different kind of message. Instead of telling his own people about this peace and prosperity that's on the horizon, now he's called to go out to a different kind of people, an unclean people, the Ninevites, and declare judgment on them. And so, you know, Jonah says, no, that ain't for me. I'm out of here. God tells him to go east, and he literally goes west. And if you know anything about the Hebrew people, they weren't seafaring people. They, they didn't live on the sea uh, like some of the nations around them. The sea was wild. It was unpredictable. It was full of evil and chaos. But Jonah decides, I'd rather chance uh, that than to go towards the Ninevite with this message of judgment. But Jonah, of all people, he would have known that he can't escape from the presence of the Lord. Right? It tells us that he wants to. He wants to go to Tarshish, verse 3, away from the presence of the Lord. And yet the Bible says we can't flee from the Spirit of God. If we go up to the heavens, he's there. If we make our bed in the depths, he is there. And so even as Jonah literally makes his bed in the depths of this ship, the Lord is there. The presence of the Lord finds him out, and he pursues him. Verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. So God has absolute sovereign control over all creation. He's the one who separated those seas at creation, the very beginning, Genesis 1 tells us. And so he says to this prophet, he says, I have not left you. He's speaking to Jonah through the wind and the waves. He's speaking to Jonah through the storms that he commands. You might have left me, Jonah, but I haven't left you. So even those who are religious... Even those who are part of the community of believers like Jonah was, we all have to choose, will I serve God or will I run from his presence? And, and maybe you're like Jonah, maybe you're like me, I grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you grew up in the church and that's kind of your story as you came to Wake Forest. And this is the first time where you have had to really choose, is this what I'm going to believe? Am I going to believe the things that I was taught when I was young? Or am I going to pursue something else? And a lot of you here are, are here because you chose, yeah, I want to pursue uh, God. Or at least I have a friend who's pursuing God and wants me to be here tonight and, and learn more about this God. But the fear of the Lord isn't just for, for people who grew up in the church. It's not just for religious people like, like me who grew up in the church or like Jonah, who's a prophet. Psalm 33.8 says, the fear of the Lord is for all peoples. Everywhere It says, let all the earth, let all the inhabitants of the earth fear the Lord. So God's not only pursuing Jonah here. That's the funny thing. The really interesting thing about this passage is we think about what happens to Jonah, but God's pursuing someone else as well. Verse 5 says, the mariners were afraid. There's that word again. The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo into the sea. 
So unlike uh, Jonah, we have these mariners, these actual seafaring people. And if you've seen any uh, you know, shows like Deadliest Catch or anything like that, you know that people who uh, make their living on ships aren't afraid of the seas. They're not afraid of the wind and the waves. And yet here they're petrified, which means things are really, really bad, right? And we find out that they're actually in awe. They're struck. They're dumbstruck. They're in awe of what God's doing. And yet they don't know who this God is that's causing the wind and the waves to be so restless. So the irony here is that Jonah thinks that he's run away from the presence of God. He thinks that he's run away from his responsibility to preach the word of the Lord to Gentiles. But here he is surrounded by the presence of the Lord and surrounded by by Gentiles. And even one of those Gentiles preaches the word of the Lord to him, the prophet. Remember earlier in in verse 2, God says to Jonah, arise. Look at the first word that the Gentile captain says to him in verse 6. He says, arise. Call out to your God. He says, perhaps the God will give us a thought that we might not perish. So the Gentiles are doing what Jonah was supposed to do in the first place. They are crying out for deliverance. Even though these sailors, they didn't know the one true God, at least not yet. They did have this sense of, of the divine deep down in their soul. They were probably praying to whatever God it was that they thought was commanding the wind, wind commanding the waves. But deep down, they had eternity in their hearts. So they knew there was a power greater than themselves at work here. So all peoples of the world, regardless of, of how we grew up in our own lives, all peoples of the world are called to fear God because we're all created in his image. We're created to image him in this world. Uh, a pastor friend of mine told me this story, uh, but didn't tell me the story. I heard him tell the story of uh, this woman in his church. It's Easter Sunday, and her name's Jessica. And Jessica's walking home from church on Easter Sunday. And um, she sees this neighbor of hers, this older man, he's in his 80s, and he always kind of sits out on the porch and smokes. And so she's walking home from Easter, and she sees him, and of course she's filled with joy, and she goes up to him just to see what's going on. And uh, she says, how you doing? And the guy's just brutally honest. He says, I'm not doing well. And uh, he says, there's something wrong with me. And so Jessica kind of presses further and further, and, and, and eventually, he admits to her that he has this deep wound because early on, when he was about 17 years old, he, um, he got married and he had a baby and uh, that marriage didn't work out and he got divorced. And so here he is with this uh, young child and has divorced the mom and he decides once the mom remarries that that child, that daughter, he's just going to let the new father raise this child. And so that was over 60 years ago. He's never actually met his daughter. Doesn't even know if his daughter knows uh, that he exists. And yet he has this deep, deep wound in him. And he says, I've never been to church. She's just coming from church, right? He says, I've never been to church. But I'm starting to wonder if I need to find God at this point in my life. And the reality is, as we see the story of Jonah, we, we might see people that are seeking God, but we also know that 
It is God who is seeking them. It's God who was seeking this man. Because God wants all people, 1 Peter tells us, God wants all people to come to him, to know him. So who should fear the Lord? Religious people should fear the Lord. Skeptics should fear the Lord. All peoples everywhere should fear the Lord. What's the problem then? What prevents us from fearing the Lord? If eternity is in our hearts, what keeps us from worshiping the God who created us? Well, the sailors, they cast lots, all right, which, which kind of means that they, they rolled dice or stones or whatever it was that they had uh, on the ship. And, and through God's sovereignty, through his control, a lot falls on Jonah. So they knew that Jonah was the guilty party at that point. They asked him several questions to try to figure out who he is and what he's done to bring this evil on him. They're like, hey, who are you? What's your business on the ship? Why are you here? And notice uh, Jonah's response in verse 9. He says, first he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. The reality is Jonah's not fearing the Lord at this point, is he? Seems as if there are others in this story who actually have a more powerful fear than Jonah at this point. Because if Jonah feared the Lord, he'd be obediently on the road to Nineveh right then, right? So despite what he says, Jonah's identity at this point is not as a follower of the Lord. But it is as a Hebrew. He is very concerned about his fellow people, his countrymen. It's not just like a simple love for country or, or a patriotism either. Like he's actually putting the Hebrew people over his neighbor, over the Gentiles. Uh, when, whenever you look throughout the scriptures and, and you see the fear of the Lord, there is a duty that comes from knowing the Lord, from knowing the fear of the Lord. That's, that's hand in hand with that. And it's always radical hospitality. So when you see people fearing the Lord, you also see that they love their neighbor. They love the people that are most different from them. And yet, what do we see here with Jonah? He's running from them. He doesn't want anything to do with them. His identity is first and foremost in who he is as a Hebrew. So that's Jonah. But what about the sailors? Well, the sailors, they, they knew that there was a God at play. They knew that now this is Jonah's God who's bringing this calamity upon us at this time. But all they know about this God is that he's angry and he's out to get them for some reason, right? He's a God who terrifies them, but he's not a God who can be trusted. So like Jonah and like the sailors, what prevents us? From fearing the Lord. What is it that prevents us from fearing the Lord? Well, it's because A, we don't know who we are. Deep down, we don't know who we are. And also, we don't know whose we are. Um, Justin Bieber, some of you know that name. Uh, he wrote a song called Lonely. And, um, and, and in the song Lonely, he sings about how uh, despite all these sellout crowds and platinum selling albums that, that he has, he was in this really, really dark place and he, and he would turn to uh, drugs to kind of numb the pain. And in an interview, I don't know if y'all saw this interview he did with GQ last year, it was super fascinating, but 
in the interview, he says there was this sense of, of yearning for more. And you all can probably know this, like being at a place like Wake Forest where you have, you've accomplished so much. Every one of you, I could probably go down all of your list of accomplishments and they'd be far more than mine in 38 years of life. You guys know this, right? You're yearning for more. He says, I had all this success and I'm still sad and I'm still in pain and I still have these unresolved issues. He says, I thought all the success was going to make everything good on this young, angry person who had these big dreams, and I wake up one day, and my relationships are effed up, and I'm unhappy, and I have all the success in the world, and I'm just like, well, what is this worth if I'm still feeling empty inside? When we don't fear the Lord, we're afraid of the world around us. We're created to find our meaning and wholeness in something bigger than stuff, something bigger than fame, something bigger than our relationships, something that's actually transcendent, someone who's actually created us. And when we look for it in things in this world, we find that those things actually just can't satisfy that one. When the storms come, when they threaten to break everything up in our lives, when our neighbor needs our help, like Jonah in this story, we're asleep. We're afraid of what others will think of us, and ultimately we're afraid of God. So we run from him. I don't know, uh, my, one of my greatest fears is, is being, out, being uh, found out to be a fraud. You guys know the term imposter syndrome, I'm sure. Um, Last summer, the, the senior pastor at our church uh, went on sabbatical. That means he went on an extended uh, vacation for four months. And so I was in charge of preaching for most of those uh, Sundays. And I had never preached more than two Sundays in a row at that point. So I remember sitting on uh, the couch at, at my counselor's office before this, because I need, I need some counseling before I went into this summer. And I was talking to my counselor just about this idea of imposter syndrome. I feel like I'm going to be found out. I feel like I'm not going to have anything to say. I feel like I'm never going to measure up to anybody else's expectations, let alone, let alone my own expectations of myself. And I was uh, joking with some folks about getting a job at dojos as a barista. And uh, sometimes that sounds good, right, to kind of run away from all of those expectations. There's a reason why do not fear, do not fear, is written over and over and over again in Scripture. It's not because God thinks we're just, all right, like a light switch. We're just going to stop fearing. All right, thanks, God. Thanks for telling me to stop fear. But it's because we just have to be reminded. It's because God knows the thing that's going to cause us to run from fear of Him is fear of all these things around us. And so in Isaiah 43, he says, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So where does the power to fear the Lord comes from? It comes from God himself. Jonah, he, he finally starts coming around to the fact that, all right, maybe something's off here. Maybe I can't actually flee from the presence of the Lord. And actually, my fleeing is bringing judgment on these 
innocent people, so just throw me overboard. I don't even care about my life anymore. And you guys will all be okay. You'll be safe here on the ship. But they don't at first. You know, because they're still trying to save Jonah. They actually, like, dig in. Like, no, I think we can make it. I think we can save Jonah here. But finally they realize, no, we're just going to have to throw him over. So that's what they do. And what happens? Complete peace. Jonah plunges into the sea, and the people are delivered. And it says this in verse 16, The men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice and made vows. Jonah had run from God because he didn't want Gentile Ninevites to turn to the Lord. He knew that if he would preach to the Ninevites, that they would actually know God's mercy in turn. But now these Gentile sailors are turning to the Lord. And it's legit. It's not just, hey, I'm going to go to church now and figure out what this God thing is. No, when they made sacrifices and, and made vows, that, that was from the overflow of their gratitude for what God had just done for them in his kindness. They no longer saw this God as an angry God, but as a merciful God. So where do we get the power to fear the Lord? It's, it's not with this stoic, I'm the master of my fate. This, this upper lip, this, this dig in, I can do this on my own. No, we, we fear the Lord when we really know that he is kind to us. That's why, you know, in one of the most famous hymns, Amazing Grace, John Newton, he says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." He's talking about the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what this, this whole story is pointing us towards? It's not just about this, this, this prophet Jonah who runs from God and we've got to figure out what our calling is in life and, and obey God's calling for our lives. No, God's telling us about something big that he's about to do through his own people. Of course, there's a few differences between Jonah and Jesus. Aren't there, right? Jesus is, is greater than Jonah. He's the greater Jonah because he, he was perfectly obedient to the will of the Lord. He's the greater Jonah because he sought not only the good of his own people, not only sought the good of the clean and religious people, but Jesus sought out the Samaritans. Jesus sought the lepers. He sought the prostitutes. He sought the people who were marginalized. He's the greater Jonah because he didn't die on account of his own sin, but he died on account of our sins. He not only was perfectly obedient, but he gives us that obedience so that we can stand before God in the presence of God as if we had never run from him. We deserve to be tossed into the sea for our rebellion from God. And yet through Jesus, he throws our sins into the depths of the sea. Perfect love casts out fear and perfect love transforms our fear so we no longer have to run from God but we can lean into God. That's what Justin Bieber learned 
you know, the end of that uh, GQ interview, I don't know how sincere Beaver's faith is, by the way, I just go by this interview, but it's a fun interview. Um, and it sounds genuine to me. Probably more than kind of at this point, but. <laughs> but um, Bieber said that, that faith in God changed uh, his life because he finally has something that's not based on his performance. Something that's not based on his earning anymore. And so this, this voice that used to be in his head that would say, you're, you're no good, you're a screw up, you're beyond redemption. Now there's a voice in his head that says, you're forgiven. And that's the only power that, that can transform our fear. The knowledge of the kindness of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through his cross and his resurrection. At the end of the Bible, you don't have to go there now, but in Revelation 21, it talks about a new life with God, a new heaven, a new earth. And what does it say about the sea? It says there's no sea. There's no evil. There's no chaos. Because Jesus has returned and his peace be still goes on into eternity. So there's real hope there. There's real confidence. Where does that leave you guys today? Um, maybe you're asleep. Like Jonah, you're on the run from God or you're, you're apathetic to, to his presence or his power in your life. Maybe you're like the sailors. You have some knowledge of God, but you're not quite sure uh, who the real God is and, and if he can really help you in your life. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by the fears of your life. Maybe you're overwhelmed by your failures. Maybe you're overwhelmed by your successes and you don't know where to go. Maybe you're thinking about, okay, there's another war on the horizon. What does that mean for me? I'm in college. Am I going to get drafted or something like that? You're thinking about the next political leader's failure. You're thinking about the next missed assignment in class. You're thinking about another family member's illness. You're thinking about that friend who betrayed you. You're thinking about the chronic depression that you woke up with today. The God who calls us, the God who called Jonah in the beginning, God is the God who calls us to arise, to wake up. Not just to, to submit to him with our obedience. Yes, that's true. But, but to submit to his kindness. To realize who he is. Remember back at the beginning of that poem, Invictus. Dorothy Day is another author. And she rewrote that. She kind of transformed that. Because she said, that doesn't make sense in, in a universe. Um, it, it only makes sense in a universe where, where there's chaos and confusion. And we have no sense of where we're going. But... Dorothy Day was a Christian, and she said, there's a God who's actually governing the universe and who loves us. And so she rewrote that. And so here at the last couple of verses, she says, beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him, capital H him, that life with him and his the aid, despite the menace of the years, keeps and will keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate, he cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Let's pray in the next. So God, it's easy for us to, to hear um, your word here, to hear your story, to try 
try to figure out who the hero is and who the bad guy is. And the reality is that you're the hero. You're the hero of this story. And as we find our place, uh, as we can identify with pretty much every character in here, Lord, we know that each of us is approaching tonight differently. We, we bring our sadness, we bring our anger, we bring our fatigue and our tiredness. We bring our questions and our confusion and our doubt. And so, God, would you meet each of us, but would you also meet all of us collectively? Would you meet us all here tonight? Teach us about this grace that transforms our fears. In Jesus' name, amen.